Welcome to The Revolution. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHDTV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. So glad to be here today. Let's bring on right away Dr. Javier Figueroa, my co-host, who's joining me for this awesome two hours of talk. How you doing? Bernadette. I'm doing great. Good. Have a good week. Oh, it's it was a week. And yeah. I'm looking forward to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. I guess as long as you're still eager for the future to come, uh, it, 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 you know, buckle up your seatbelt. There's a lot of craziness, but um, oh, yeah. I'm encouraged. I, let's say uh, from the top here that the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KKNW or CHDTV. We are not giving medical advice or legal advice. We're just bringing you some good conversation, some civil conversation for you to take and explore um, so we can uh, help you live a more informed life. Um, we've got two great hours here, Javier. I, I'm really excited. We're going to be bringing uh, John Bird from New Zealand on in the first hour. And in the second hour, we're going to be looking at what they discussed yesterday in the Washington State Department of Health Vaccine Advisory Committee meeting. Um, really some interesting things I'm looking forward to telling you that went on. I've got some slides to show, and especially uh, looking forward to talking about excess deaths in Washington State and, and what their reasoning, what they thought it was and the elephant in the room they ignored. But we'll get to that in the second hour. <laughs> so, um, Let's go ahead and just bring on John Verd from New Zealand. You know, John, I don't even have a bio in front of me. Shame on me about oh, that. Good, uh, <laughs> but that's he's, all right. He's a troublemaker down in New Zealand. <laughs> um, and, Do my best. <laughs> you know, we talked to you maybe a year or two ago. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm, and you've got a website, Liberty Now, which we'll be showing here in a bit. So, you know, we met because of all the COVID stuff. I believe you and Javier knew each other Correct. prior. Yep. Yeah. 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 Back in uh, the um, blue city of Seattle that we both uh, got the heck out of. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, why don't you give us a listeners a little bit of a background about you and then sure. how you came to be this Liberty Now troublemaker guy? <laughs> well, um, I've I've always been about, um, you know, trying to help and empower people since uh, I got into the fitness industry about 20 years ago. I was a personal trainer. I had opened up my own personal training studio in Seattle and uh, did that for about 10 years before moving to New Zealand. And um, I was always, you know, tuned in to keep up for, um, you know, health and nutrition information. And, uh, you know, even prior to COVID, I started to question a little bit uh, about, you know, how effective and, and useful the vaccines were. Having gotten my own, you know, flu shot, like every good sheep out there, I just, I would. Um, and then I remember, you know, one year when I, I got the shot and it just, I got the flu anyway. I was like, well, that didn't really do me much good. And um, so my journey sort of started from there. And then, of course, um, I, I started questioning a lot of things 
um, you know, government responses prior to COVID as well. Um, just started doing a lot of reading. I don't know if any of you have read um, the writings of Thomas Malthus, but that really took me down the rabbit hole. And, how, do you, uh, how do you spell Malthus for listeners? M-A-L-T-H-U-S. Malthus, okay. Malthus, and uh, he was, um, he, what, what was he, Javier? He was an, was he English, an attorney uh, or? He was an English, um, oh gosh, um, not, not pastor, but uh, in the Anglican church. Yeah. Anyway, he, he, his writings from the uh, late 1700s were, or maybe early 1800s, he, he wrote about the, the finite space on the earth and the um, growing multitude of people and the concern about um, global population and um, proposing ideas like, you know, what maybe we could do about it. And then of course, uh, globalists have run with his ideas and, mm. you know, we face a lot of the, um, a lot of the the policies now we're seeing from the globalists. Anyway, that's that's what got me going down the rabbit hole, and uh, I decided to get a podcast going to to start sharing the information that I've been reading about and mm -hmm. uh, different authors and, and books, and uh, learning a lot as I go. So I started Liberty Now, and I actually had uh, gotten onto a local radio station here for about a, the first year um, on Plains FM. It's like a public access radio and um i started getting a little bit too close to the truth i think and uh they just booted me off yeah. the air so i'm now a, an independent podcaster wow yeah well good for you good for you um just keeping at it and keeping the truth out there do you i think you're a lot like uh, a lot of us in the movement since when covid came we were already skeptical we were already right not trusting. We knew where some of the fraud was and the corruption and the, you know, um, just so many things. And I think that really helped us. It wasn't such a shock. I, I still right. kind of, there's still so many people that their whole world got turned upside down. Mm -hmm. I feel like and it may have been the same for you that the world we were trying to show everybody split wide open and made, became visible because it got so big, you couldn't hide it anymore. Right. Um, yeah, so so I, I consider that to be an advantage. And when I call you a troublemaker, it's with much love and appreciation, you know, because uh, I'm a yeah, troublemaker I'm, uh, too. <laughs> I wear it proudly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're not in trouble, if you haven't had any deleted, if you haven't had something deplatformed, you're not doing it right, you know? Well, you're just following the narrative. Yes. Yeah. 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 YouTube we, just we, took down a video. Yeah. YouTube just took down a video of Informed Choice Washington that has been up since I think 2017. For, really? <laughs> mm hmm. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And you are so, I, you know, I have to give you credit for being so objective and measured. Um, and wow, they, they must be really getting desperate. Yeah. It was from a, a conference we did, Healthy Immunity Now Conference. Um, I believe the year was 2017. It was pre-COVID. And it was a presentation on HPV. And I bl believe, oh. I haven't gone and looked at it, it was probably Mary Holland of Children's Health Defense, who wrote the book, um, HPV Vaccines on Trial. She was right. likely presenting the data. <laughs> uh, you know, And Merck is on trial now, huge outside of the vaccine adverse event reporting or the injury compensation program. They made it 
all these cases made it through the system. And after you get through the system, then you can go after the manufacturer in limited cases. Right. In the case of fraud, you can go after them. And that's what they're doing, fraud and malfeasance, because they lied during the clinical trial. So it's interesting that that's the one, the HPV presentation that couldn't be more factual, presented by an attorney, is the one they took down. Maybe uh, Dr. Fauci got a look at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we can't have that. Well, what what's happening now um, is all of the social media platforms that have a um, any sort of a reach, they are setting their community guidelines that if you do not follow CDC guidelines, you're gone. They're not going to argue whether anything's truth or not. You just have to follow the guidelines. And so they're scouring anything that doesn't fit current CDC guidelines. It seems as though they're lowering the bar too. the threshold is getting lower and lower from, you know, as far as uh, platform reach, you know, the um, one of the first big ones that was uh, deplatformed, you know, Alex Jones, of course, uh, Infowars, and then, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson off the air. Um, and, um, oh, they even managed to oust, um, Project Veritas, um, James O'Keefe. James O'Keefe. Yeah. OMG network. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting times. And now Russell Brand is, is, uh, (laughs) the fire brand. (laughs) He's, he's under fire. Yep. They'll throw anybody under the bus. They don't care. Oh yeah. You know? But the more they do that, the more people wake up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think what's going to happen, some of the most amazing people that I so respect have had the courage. Like last week, Javier, we, we had on um, Naomi Wolf. And she's, she's had the great. courage to stand up and say where she, she w- was wrong about something you know, in this whole craziness that's going on. And I so admire people who are willing to do that in a very public way. I mean, you take the slings and arrows, it completely changed her life to to enter this and stand up and speak truth and not give in to fear. But bless her heart, she did. And my good friend, James Lyons Weiler did that years ago, you know, and we've got all the big doctors, Peter McCullough, Paul Merrick, Pierre Corey, I'm sure I'm missing a lot. They've all stood up and said, this is what I believed before, but I have changed my mind. I want to make that cool. I want to make it like, hey, let me tell you what I used to believe, right? So that people, so that they get over the fear and they just, it's like, have that wonderful coming out, as it were, moment. Yeah, Yeah, really, right? (laughs) I come out as an (laughs) anti-vaxxer. Yeah, I, you know, and you mentioned something, you, you listed off all those doctors and, you know, I've, I've done my share of, of, uh, standing, you know, protests and we did like a, started a yellow signs thing here, which we can get into about as far as taking actions and waking the public up. But, um, I just remember, you know, standing out there, you know, patiently as cars are driving by holding these signs up there, just trying to wake people up. And, you know, a lot of them would be like, um, Hey, this is great. And, uh, you know, in support, others would be, you know, giving us the finger and, you know, I think telling us we're number one. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I would hear these comments like, are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? And I'm like, no, are you? 
and and it's like no that's why i go to a doctor for advice i listen to doctors yes i listen to the intelligent doctors who know what they're talking about i wouldn't have these opinions that i do that make me skeptical of the vaccines without doctors it's it's their very studies that i actually read and their, their writings their books and everything uh including dr x right here yeah who uh who know what they're talking about yeah. so yeah no i'm not a doctor that's no. that's why i, I listen to <laughs> doctors who tell the truth yeah and and john one of the things i love to say is i i do refer to doctors but i don't defer right. to them right so right so i have well to said. trust yeah because otherwise you know you can't hand over your bodily integrity and your medical choices to some other person you have to do your homework find people that you trust and then you have to kind of sit quietly with your own instincts and decide what's right for you and your family you right go. they are your consultant not yeah. your dictator yeah they're your partner if you go into somebody's office and they're not willing to work with you a partner if they've got that god halo on saying right. you know it's my way or the high highway i'll never forget years ago when my pop was in the hospital the heart surgeon who was just the most egotistical son of a gun you could ever meet and my mother she was so bold i just so loved her or still love her um she's one of the angels up there now um helping us out but he walked in the room and, and she said oh god has arrived and he didn't, he didn't know if what to make of it because the way she said it you couldn't tell is it an insult was it a oh, compliment that he was on his toes God after bless that? <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome uh, yeah so i'm sorry i squirreled there but um yeah trying yeah. to wake people up is is been uh very challenging and um there's just some people that cognitive dissonance is is going to be a long time but all I, all I say is we just keep putting the word out there. Those who are capable of hearing and seeing, when the time is right, they will hear and see. Exactly, um, yeah. We cannot give up. We're starting to have so many victories. Yeah, we are. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. It, it makes me like just kind of on edge. It's like, whoa. We're, yeah. What What's the next big thing that's going to happen if, well, from, the, from the powers well, that be if, if we're having all these victories? So John, you you live in one of probably the the one of one of the most locked down uh, top down countries in the Commonwealth. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's that's saying crown. a lot. So what's been happening for the, in, the, in the past year? Yeah, Jabsinda left for greener pastures. And yeah, since then, yeah, what happened? So I, I made a couple notes. Um, just digging around, I, I pulled up some links too, which I'll I'll post up for you guys, but. Uh, the, the official curated status now, as of 12 October 2023, um, most COVID-19 restrictions have been lifted in New Zealand. Um, however, travelers airing into arriving into Auckland and Queenstown Airport still need to complete paper passenger arrival card, um, COVID-19 vaccination testing requirements for all travelers arriving in the country, including air crew, are no longer required hmm. for the moment. However, all travelers are strongly encouraged to remain up to date with their vaccinations before traveling to New Zealand. Crew um, <laughs> do not need pre-departure tests or proof of COVID-19 vaccination to enter New Zealand, but check uh, with your airline and cruise provider to see if they still require proof of vaccination. I will not be providing that. I'm actually uh, headed to the uh, back to the good old USA myself over uh, Christmas break. So I will look forward to seeing you, Dr. X. I don't know if I'll get as far as Tennessee, 
Bernadette. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. But um, yeah, anyway, so um, I, I think here uh, people have relaxed quite a bit. Um, but those of us in the, the freedom community, I call it, uh, a lot of us call it here, they, we're, we're still not um, resting on our laurels. We, okay. we think, you know, despite all the victories, I, I think it's sort of a two-pronged approach. We, we still need to work with, um, you know, the conventional society under the social contract and participate in our electoral process yep. and vote, um, you know, as, as free individuals um, to the best of our ability. But we've seen, you know, with election meddling, um, you know, that we don't always get the result that we want. Um, so at the same time, we need to, I think, work on um, community independence and, and resilient communities um, with a parallel or zero economy. Um, because I just, I, I don't think with the way that uh, the dollar is going right now that it's going to um, survive too much longer. It, it can't. Um, uh, with the uh, inflation and the pressure that it's, it's going under right now. The, and the U.S. is just so far in debt. So um, I think COVID, this, this whole pandemic has been a partial um, response to a lot of those bigger pressures and, and not necessarily the ultimate cause. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What is the government structure like in New Zealand? You know, here we've got the federal government, but then you got the states and then you got the counties and and right. there's a bit of a structure. And sometimes you do have a little bit of protection. We supposedly have a federal constitution and we supposedly have each state has their own constitution that's protected. Right. And it's starting to kick in and work. It was used and abused forever. But during COVID, but now it's starting to um, be respected here and there. Do you have anything similar where the, the citizens have a power structure in their community level or how does it work? Well, it's, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll ask forgiveness from my um, fellow New Zealand, from my Kiwis uh, here, still learning about how the parliament works here, but we have multiple parties here. So it's a, it's a parliamentary system and it's technically under the crown um so the the queen or the now the king i guess uh exerts control um of their subjects uh remotely from from england um that said you know we do have like um voting in fact we just voted i i just uh voted for my favorite party um the new zealand loyal i'll just go ahead and say that on air they're um, <laughs> A, uh, a former news anchor here, Liz Gunn, is uh, a fantastic speaker, and I think she's really tuned in and turned on. She knows what's going on, and she's all about um, freedom and rights. And um, she, if look her up um, online, I, I highly recommend it. She's um, very supportive of uh, medical freedom, the right to choose, and um, wants nothing to do with all these draconian government restrictions that we've seen. And yeah, as you said, Javier, we did have some of the worst. Um, I became uh, unemployed as a result of refusing to take the job. Um, so I'm now working in, um, in another industry, working in construction rather than the fitness industry for the time being. Mm. But um, yeah, the parliamentary system. So we do, we can vote um, and we have multiple parties. Uh, the two major parties would be Labour 
and um, national. It's funny the the colors are reversed, so national is blue and labor is red. But that if you go by the colors, the um, or by the um, Democrats versus the Republicans, which are our two major parties in the U.S., um, labor would be like the Democrats, okay. which was uh, what we were have been under for what at least the last five years with Jabcinda. Mm. Um, and then um, national would be like the Republicans, but um, l- much like in the United States, I think um, there are a lot of uh, rhinos or what would they be? Um, um, Ninos? Nationals and name only. <laughs> Nationals and name only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there are those that are willing to talk to the people though. And I think very sympathetic, um, a former prime a former um, PM, yeah, uh, Winston Peters. Um, and, and we know that he's good because he's getting attacked in the media now. So <laughs> it's a good sign that he's more on the side of the people. Mm. But uh, we do have some other minor parties that um, the, the, the trick is, though, to try to just get into parliament, though, just to have a voice at all. I think they need like at least 5%. Um, but mm. if, if you can squeak in there with, you know, one of the, the minor parties, um, they can still have exert some influence um, mm-hmm. in parliament there but um that's that's about the extent of of my uh knowledge of, okay. of how it works yeah and is there something similar to the constitution in new zealand or or no uh we have what is it a uh, like a, a bill of rights i think but we no we don't officially have a constitution mm-hmm. um Isn't it interesting charter? uh or is that canada yeah i think that's canada but Interestingly, we the so the the indigenous. I hate using that word because it's sort of like PC. But like the the uh, the Maori, who were among the first people here. There, there's evidence that they weren't the very very first, but um, they were the the native people here um, when the uh, first English settlers arrived. They are actually the owners, uh, the landowners here, and it's it's really interesting so the 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 system that the western system that we're under right now is sort of color of law so there was a a treaty of waitangi between the original uh settlers or the crown and um the the king at the time uh of the maori king here and um it was sort of assumed by the Westerners that they would just sort of ride roughshod over them and they would exert government control over the the whole land. But they never really, they didn't surrender their rights at all. They they, um, stated that they were a sovereign people and anybody that would wanted to come and live here in peace with them could do so. And um, so I don't know if you've heard anything about uh, Renner Fulmick, has um, oh, been yeah. wanting to, yeah, he, he wants to uh, find a, like a, an international court of law where they can um, have like a Nuremberg 2.0. And he um, finally talked to some people here in New Zealand. And it turns out that um, under the Maori system um, and the Treaty of Waitangi or something related to that, that they could actually hold a tribunal here and um so yeah it's it's really interesting and they they actually have a case um 
but I, I don't have the latest. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where they're at with that. Mm -hmm. But I, I posted some links. Uh, Reiner Fulmick has a website. Um, looking it up here. Um, if you go to truthcomestolight.com, that's a okay. starting point. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's a case of uh, the people of New Zealand versus the perpetrators of the pandemic. Wow. Yeah, that it's exciting. It, it's Truth really yeah, it's interesting. I, and I. Yeah, um, and through the uh, various freedom groups, um, I've been to some meetings with uh, folks that have actually talked to Renner Fulmick. Co Common Law Community Training Manual. Nice. I see nice. Javier's holding up that book. Um, so that yeah, is that excellent. a book that who where, who is that a book that you wrote, John, or why no, no, I, oh. I wish. No, <laughs> but there there is a thing called Common Law. And I am just still on the edges of, oh. of understanding it. But are you familiar with that? Bernadette? No, but I, I saw it, it just flipped around to a wonderful quote and it turned out to be from Catherine Austin Fitz. You know, <laughs> oh. Wonderful. Okay, when it's yeah, my, yeah. I just, it surprised me. I apologize. But look great at all these great people that I love this. Who created this website? Do we know? Uh, it might be Reiner Fulmick. I'm not sure. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, um, I'll, I'll watch for it. But you you go on, and then um, I'd like to uh, highlight that. So truthcomestolight.com. This is awesome. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, so another angle that people have been pursuing is uh, trying to um, dissociate themselves from the uh, maritime law that apparently we live under. And and there's there's a difference between the law of the land and maritime law and the original British who came over here exerted, uh, if, if I'm saying this correctly, maritime law, which is, um, you know, their their rules, which are different from the people of the land. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the idea of, you know, uh, natural law is that uh, you are a, a free, sovereign individual with God given rights that nobody can um, exert any control over. Amen. And so you have the right to, you know, to uh, live your life freely uh, without anybody, without government restrictions or even, you know, paying taxes or, or any of that. You have the right to, you know, uh, obtain food as you need, um, as long as you're not, you know, riding roughshod over other people's laws. Who's this? Kevin Annette. Kevin Annette. Is, is he the author of the uh, Common Law? Books. No, but he has also been pursuing very similar. So I think you might have interviewed him several years ago, uh, uh, Bernadette. He was a former Roman Catholic priest who uh, had um, um, who left the church because of what he'd seen uh, in Canada. Wow. And he started this, this whole uh, process of common law. And like you said, John, admiralty law or the law of the sea is right is what is being over over overimposed over common law and constitution is under the common law. Mm, so right. rules of the sea versus rules of the land. And right now admiralty courts are the, uh, are the overseeing authority in terms of legal statutes versus common law statutes in the United States. Right. And if you look around on YouTube, you'll see some really interesting videos of um, like a lot of, of uh, police are not, informed 
or if they are, they, they don't talk about it, but they, um, if, if you exempt yourself, if, if you opt out of the quote system, then, and you are truly a free sovereign individual, then, um, you don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to, uh, you know, register your vehicle, uh, you know, you're, you're exempt from the census, all, all these things that we've, um, we've, we've just agreed to, um, unknowingly. Um, and it goes right back to even your birth certificate. I think your birth certificate is you're, you're registered under, uh, the crown or, or something, um, as a, like a subject and, and you can opt out of that if you know exactly what you're doing. And in fact, I've seen it in practice. I, I saw, um, you know, you have to have like a registration plate on your, uh, car as well as your trailer, as well as your car. And, uh, I, I got a photo of it. I've got to find it somewhere, but it, it said, um, it had no registration on it. It just said private. So it was an unregistered, but the, I'm like, oh, that guy is under common law. He, he doesn't have to register, pay taxes or any of that. Um, so with that though, of course you, you have to be, you supply your own, um, you know, independent services. You basically, you're going to, I think you can still like go into stores and buy things. Um, but you know, um, uh, honestly, you're, you don't have the, the, um, you may not have the full access to other things or you have to be very careful how you participate in society. If, if you're going to yeah. go down that road. Now, wh where do you see, I mean, when I look at the big picture, if people were ethical and honest, we would come together as a society and agree to pay taxes, to build roads and bridges, something you can't afford to do on your own. The things that governments well, you, are for, yeah. because if everybody opted out, we would just have chaos but then again, it, it's like it should still be voluntary, not forced. But mm -hmm. if it's voluntary, a lot of people would never do it. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know right. what the answer is. Well, you know? yeah, I mean, yeah, we could go into these huge grand questions of, you know, what's better, socialism or capitalism or, you know. Um, I think in general, people can and will cooperate very well together. And if you'd like to see a microcosm of that, man, the people here in New Zealand were amazing. So when they had the um, initial mandates uh, and the lockdown before, I think it was uh, just after the lockdowns, but they were mandating vaccines. And uh, there were there were thousands of people out of work or about to be out of work, including police and fire and teachers, healthcare workers, and um, there was a massive protest that you probably never heard about no. up, up in Wellington. And there, were, there was a convoy, tens of thousands of people from the very southern tip of the South Island to the northern tip of the North Island, all converged down into Wellington in the capital on the Beehive, they call it, um, in Parliament. And it was an amazing display of cooperation and peaceful protest. And I mean, it just organically occurred. So there, there was no, I mean, they just had like a Facebook page and say, Hey, we're, we're all, we all have a common thing. I mean, you had everybody there from, you know, Catholic priests to Harry Krishna's to yoga teachers, you know, but they were all there for a common cause. And they said, listen, you, you can't, we, we have bodily autonomy. You can't force these vaccines on us. We have the right to choose. And they just, all they wanted was, you know, tell the government, hey, 
we elected you, you know, we are the people, you listen to us. We want these mandates. We want the vaccines gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had a, a massive police presence there. Um, and it, but the, the people were still like, hey, we're doing this for you, police. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, during the protest, um, some of the uh, former police officers who were part of the protest found themselves on the other side of the barricades there. Um, they got together and got an attorney and they were able to actually get the mandates reversed for police. Nice. Which which makes it all the more disheartening or sad, I guess, for the for the Kiwis when the police attacked them and, oh. and ultimately ended the protest. Oh no. But th this was uh you would never know it looking at the media or listening to the government. In fact, mm -hmm. there was a famous quote by um Michael Wood, I think one of the members of parliament there, calling them a river of filth. <laughs> and and when you see the on the ground how the people actually were, they were all very peaceful, very loving, mm -hmm. um, encouraging to the police who were, you know, pushing back against them. And uh they they were very well organized. I mean, they got together medical tents and food tents and food and, and supplies were coming in from all over the place. You've got to see it. There's, there was a documentary that I would recommend everybody in the world watch. It's called River of Freedom. River of Freedom. And it was okay. produced by a local New Zealander here. And um, I met some of these people that actually went up to Wellington for the protest, the great folks. Um, Far from the river of filth that you you'll see, you know how they were demonized in the media. It was so biased and, and so one-sided, um, which is why we need to get the truth out there and, yes. and look at documentaries like this. If, um, I'll put the link on my website, but it's uh, riveroffreedom.nz. <laughs> They've got me saying NZ here. Yeah, <laughs> I like NZ. Uh, NZ. Okay. Riverfreedom.nz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a must see for and and if any New Zealanders are out there listening, and I'm gonna put this on my podcast too, you have no excuse not to go see it. It's currently playing in a lot of theaters. I just went and saw it myself yesterday with two of my kids. Um it's it's a longish documentary, but well worth it. Um it, really well done. I, I love that. And this has happened all over the world where there have been amazing right. protests, massive, brilliant, peaceful protests yep. that were for anybody who they were afraid actually knew it happened or just totally disparaged and maligned and lies were told about it. But the rest of the world didn't even hear it happened. Yeah. Yeah. But you know yeah. what? And Javier, I, I, do you agree with me here? I mean, I'm so just way to go New Zealand and Germany and England. There's Canada with their massive trucker strike. And where the heck is the United States? We're supposed to be the cowboys. We're the home of the, right. of the brave. And can we get more than maybe a couple hundred people together? Maybe, right. maybe a couple of thousand. But we've never been able to pull off on our side of the story um on a lot of these issues any medical freedom issue for some reason um we're just not getting her done and it's just disheartening because we're supposed to be leading the way but by gum the kiwis are doing it <laughs> yeah well i would i, I get I, I wonder maybe a couple different reasons for that one is i think the 
draconian lockdowns and restrictions weren't as brutal in most places in the U.S. as they were here mm. and Australia. Oh my gosh, they it was unbelievable. I don't know. You probably didn't see much footage of it, but um, you go to a lot of independent reporters and independent media, you'll see police like beating yeah. women down on the beach because they wanted to be out in the open air with their kids. Right. Look, so beating them with batons for not wearing a mask. I'm like, so you're trying to protect them from a virus by beating them with batons. What's I wonder what's the <laughs> yeah, big danger. Yeah. So, so you're you're thinking that they kind of weighed really carefully how much um, Americans were willing to tolerate before they would and mass hit the street, and they just well, right. held they, back. The other factor that that might have come into play is the fact that um, I think in places like New Zealand and Australia, we're a more a little bit more homogenous society and community. Mm. Uh, a smaller population and um, more, a little more like like-minded, whereas in the United States has been a, a real focal point for division. Yes. And um, I mean, it's like industrial scale, uh, MK ultra level <laughs> psychological warfare going on. Uh, it's like the, it's, it's not just uh, LGB anymore. It's LGBTQPLMN. I don't know how many letters anymore. Um, you know, so, I mean, anybody that might've had a little bit of cohesiveness or, or community is being incrementally fractal, fractionalized and divided. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you've got, you know, uh, not just your, your Republicans, but you get your rhinos and your, you know, um, freedom caucus. And, you know, it's just, the division is endless. Yeah. And so it's, it makes, I think harder to, um, get a cohesive movement when you've got all this infighting, you know, among people yeah. that should be sticking together. Well, yeah. there's also the fear of uh, what happened after January 6th. The lesson right. that we learned was that there is no way you can actually come together peacefully and get your message across because it'll be completely and utterly uh, infiltrated and overturned. And the truckers in Canada, you know, they were smart. They stayed there and they set an example to the yeah. world about how to do it. So did the New Zealanders. In the United States, after January 6th, there was no appetite. And again, in the United mm -hmm. States, we do have the Second Amendment. So right. the idea of, of there being a false flag operation that could be used to cancel out or reinforce those things, I these are conversations that have been, that have been had with many members in the medical freedom movement in my neck of the woods, mm -hmm. where they're just saying the risk is too great, work locally, and yeah. you know, work from within to get things straight. Yeah, I right. think you're right. Even, you know, when I was still living in Washington there, went down to one of the rallies outside the Capitol when they had the barbed wire oh, yeah. there. Um, and there were 50, 60 people at the most, most of us gray haired. There were some moms with babies in their strollers and everything and a couple of legislators. And in this small crowd, a couple of voices rose up charge the gate, charge the gate, you know, Yeah. go through the fence. Well, and, you know, we're all older and wiser there. We're going, shut up. 
No, yeah. no, nobody listened to them. No, you're not going to do that. We're peaceful. And in fact, I approached the, the Barbara thing because it's just a row behind the, there was oh, just yeah. this row of these 20 something volunteer soldiers, you know, that were standing there so sweet. And I just told them, I'm sorry that you're, you know, caught up in this, but thank you for doing your duty to, you know, Washington state. And I gave them a lecture on the COVID shots and, you know, nice. they had to stand there and listen to me because they, that's yeah. what they were <laughs> but it was captive really, audience. That's great. Captive audience, really nice young people. But, um, and said there's treatments available if you get harmed by the shots. So, um, but it was really scary afterward yeah. when I home. And I started really thinking about what they had attempted to make us do. Right. And that is the strategy. They, they will implant in crowds people to try to get you riled up, you know, yeah. um, and Ray do Epstein something. Did. Yeah. Yeah. They want us to, um, but you know, what I have found is the other side of all of our issues. They're the ones that are doing the violence. They're the ones that are ugly. Right. You know, anybody opposed to my stance on vaccines or masks or any of that, if they oppose me, I just say, I'm just giving you information. I'm, I'll, I'll pray for you. You know, let's just have civil discourse. And then they give me that favored finger. Right. Um, right. Or just say, I, they hope I die of polio. And right. then I just add more prayers to them and stay peaceful. Good but, on you. Good on you. Well, you know, that's what we have to do because they would like nothing more than for us. But, you know, we got God and angels on our side who's trying Amen, to sister. her down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think and one of the things, uh, comments I heard in the Voices for, or, um, yeah, the um, River of Freedom documentary was, uh, you know, we didn't have a strategy like, you know, the police did. They came in, you know, armed with a strategy to, you know, break up the protest, which eventually they did. Um, but I think it had a great impact, um, you know, despite that. Um, but I think if, if protesters were to have any rules of engagement or a strategy, um, I think one of the number one things that, that everybody sh and, you know, it, it's hard to organize officially, you know, mm -hmm. an organic movement like there are any kind of protest. But I think just a word of wisdom to all protesters is be mindful of provocateurs because yes. that's that's one of the number one tools that they use to create these disastrous um, protests or, you mm -hmm. know, that, that, that the media can then use to say, you know, the, these idiots, um, you know, or don't know what they're doing. And, Oh, look, at are you, that is that footage. the trailer for, uh, yeah, there's it? a trailer for those just listening on audio and don't have video or just seeing the trailer, the line of cars and the people waving from overpasses. It gives me the chills. Oh, oh. It, was, it was beautiful. Oh. You gotta see it. It was wow. incredible of the emergency broadcast system is what it sounded like. Oh, we had one. We had one at midnight yesterday. You did. Oh yeah, midnight. It's supposed to be but one October fourth and October eleventh. October eleventh. Oh. Wow. A couple of nights ago, yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, so. And apparently, so, it's 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 a worldwide system that is being uh, tested. Worldwide system that's oh, being yeah. tested. It's not the not just the U.S. Canada, yeah. Mexico. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I try very hard to look at all reasoning behind what we're seeing. And I try to always think that like testing, 
an emergency alert system, even one on a global scale, is really a very smart thing to do. It, we would be irresponsible not to have something like that. But because the world is the way it is and the craziness, we don't, we always think there's got to be something nefarious underneath right. of it. But then again, if they didn't test it, would we be saying, how come they're not testing it? Are they just going to let bombs fall and we have no alarms go off? Because although then we think about the fires in Hawaii. Um, Those didn't go off. See. Okay. So, all right. So just, um, I wonder if John's ready yet. I can't tell if John's ready yet to come back on, if he's still getting no noise. Let's see. I hear him talking. Tell him to chat. <laughs> Shall I put him back in? Let's give it a give it a go. Another shot. There we go. Are you? Is it over? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just so. Uh, in my case, uh, it was the Met Service severe wind warning for Canterbury. Oh, okay. Which we have been having some some kind of high winds. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's a like a legitimate uh, reason. But the, a lot of times these. Um, technologies and these systems are a Trojan horse. You know, we're, we're sold them as, as a public good, but there's something wrapped inside of it that is um, not for our benefit often. Well, you know, there has not been a single invention by humankind that somebody didn't figure out how to use in an evil way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's what we do. We're really right. good at it. <laughs> Right. You know, and so we just I think that just means that we all and we learned during COVID, right? We cannot sit back and be complacent. We don't want to stop right. all technology going out or anything, but we have to be constantly vigilant for these people who want to hijack it to their own. Well, that that's exactly it. We can't be lazy. Um, we, we have to be, you know, actively involved, particularly mm -hmm. in, in our political system. And um, and holding corporations responsible as well. So funny, I, I, you know, when I start going off about corporations and stuff, I start to sound like the old Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> and but yeah, I'd I'd be currently labeled as a far right wing extremist, you know, because well, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tried as he was running for president as a Democrat, tried to revive the ideas of the old. Yes. Yeah. Um, which party. I totally respect. Yeah. And, and, and the, they decided to find ways to cut him out. So there's no way he could even make it to the primary. So now he's right. running as an independent and it gives the, I'm not, the views expressed are just Bernadette's and we're just talking about systems here. Um, but yeah, it's, we need something new and we've never had an independent president. Right. And that party, and now both sides, it's probably the same with you, John, in New, New Zealand. If you vote anything other than the two main parties, everybody accuses you of swaying the vote to the other side. Right, and, or just and wasting, that, yeah. Wasting your vote. And that argument has prevented getting a really good, strong um, third party stepping away from the, the main two from happening. It, it's, it's a fear yeah. vote. So yeah, much we exactly. do is based on fear. I want to go, I want to share, I can't believe how fast this hour is going here. We're getting 
down to the last few minutes. I want people to find your website. It's libertynow.com. Uh, yes. And yes. yeah, that's, and so you have, how often do you have a podcast? Are you? Um, um, I'm shooting for weekly at the moment. Um, I've got a, a couple, I can't talk about it right now, but I've got a couple projects going to help um, raise some funds so I can uh, get a little more uh, active on it and uh, a little more frequent. But mm -hmm. um, stand by and uh, stay tuned for that. Um, I've got a really exciting one uh, coming up before the elections. Cool. But um, yeah, anyway, it's it's a weekly podcast and I'll typically uh, throw up some videos um, on uh, Rumble and nice. uh, this YouTube. One's got, when it is this, this one's got me curious. You've got a podcast called The Pharma Industrial Complex. Give us a little yeah. insight in, into what you talked about in that episode. Yeah. So um, talking about the... Um, well, back going back to the origins of the Rockefellers and in their uh, pursuit of endless pursuit of money without any conscience, <laughs> finding more uses for petroleum, learned that they could, um, th there were a lot of pharmaceutical applications for petroleum distillates. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they put a lot of money into um, campaigning to um, dismiss any natural remedies. And, and now we have what is uh, currently today, it's allopathic medicine mm -hmm. versus holistic medicine. Yes. Um, and yeah, you're well aware of all that, I'm sure. Yeah. Right That's our big war. We've got um, here in the States under Children's Health Defense, um, it's kind of, it hasn't fully launched yet, but it's coming. It's called Reform Pharma. Going to be some campaigns to address the systemic corruption of pharma, pharma state. It's that integration of um, right. our whole next hour is our own taxpayer dollars. We're going to be basically talking about a marketing meeting paid for by taxpayer dollars and who gets the billions, but you know. Right. We need payment. to get rid of that, the lobby. And in, in, uh, in fact, that's that's one of the I think one of the key points they're talking about in the new speakership, isn't it? Um, with uh, Jim Jim Jordan, is it? Oh. There is Jim Jordan's the new speaker now. He oh, oh he is. Oh, yeah. I, I was. Oh, did, did that happen? I today? didn't hear the latest. Is you that did. a fact? Yes. Wow. So how how optimistic are you for for him, Javier Bernadette? Not, not very. No. To be perfectly honest, Jim talks a good game. Um, yeah. But. He's pretty close to, um, he, he's a little better than a rhino, but not by much. Yeah. Um, Jim Jordan's been able to capture a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, sway within the uh, Freedom Caucus in, in the House of Representatives. But yeah. just, uh, we'll see, because he's actually, he might actually be more swayable. Uh, McCarthy was not. He was, McCarthy was a rhino through and through. And oh, yeah. Jim Jordan at least... Um, uh, will be a little more transparent. And I know that many members of the different caucuses within the House of Representatives will require transparency, which was one of the biggest pushes push that they had. That's good. But, yeah. you know, as, as much as we need Congress to act and, and defund this, get rid of the tangles and the corruption there, it's really our public health agencies at yeah. all levels that are really just extensions of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I'm less angry at Pfizer than I am the CDC and the FDA. 
because they are supposed to be standing between us and and um, protecting us with our taxpayer dollars. Um, yeah. Oh, we're down to just the last uh, 45 seconds probably about here, uh, John Bird. So okay. I'm going to give you the, the last words here. What are your last words for listeners today? Well, just to follow up your point about uh, the pharmaceutical industry, I highly recommend everybody read The Real uh, Dr. Fauci. The Real it's Anthony Fauci. Yeah, yeah, you probably have it on your shelf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has yeah. it. Yeah. Yes, awesome. And then just <laughs> if that. you want to understand what's really going on in the, the world, the, the pharmaceutical world in particular, um, another major point I'd like to share with your audience uh, and mine as well is, is uh, we need to build our own resilient uh, communities and parallel economies. We can't re just rely completely on the government. Um, you know, we don't know how long it's going to be there or, or, you know, acting on our behalf as if it does very much anyway. Now, yes. um, I think it's going to be very important to connect with each other locally uh, for our own food security and taking inventory of skills and resources and um, seeing how we can work together on a small local level, micro gardening and all that. If you want to see Excellent. a good example of that, voicesforfreedom.co.nz and freedomcells.org. A couple good resources there. Yeah. Okay. I'll well, post it all on my website. Oh, we'll put it. Uh, we'll put all that in our newsletter. John Bird, thank you so much. You have a great Saturday where you are. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Take care, yeah. guys. Good to see you. We're going to take a, a quick break. Uh, you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be back in a bit, and we're going to look at some interesting excess date report data report on Washington State. Awesome. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. 
Hello and welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is Javier Figueroa, PhD. Hello, hello. I just love John. It's so nice that he came back to update us. It Absolutely. sounds like he's doing great. And wow, those Kiwis. I just love it's kind of a cool <laughs> thing with Kiwis. Yes. I, I'm going to go watch that um, Truth Comes to Light documentary. I mean, I got chills just watching the trailer. Wasn't that it's, something? It just restores your faith in humanity to see people doing that. That is just for freedom. For Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so wonderful. So we're going to get to it here this hour looking at, um, I guess, views expressed uh, are not necessarily those of uh, KKNW or CHDTV. Um, not giving medical advice, but we're probably going to talk a lot about certain medicines here. So yesterday, Javier, um, I don't think most states have this. Washington State Department of Health has what they call their vaccine advisory committee. And they pull in people from the community, experts. They've got, um, uh, you know, MDs, NDs, school nurses, people who work in public health. There is a, an individual there who represents pharmacies. Every blessed one of these people <laughs> makes money from the sale of vaccines to some degree. Absolutely. It's, it's part of what they do. <clears throat> Nobody more so than the pharmacist who represents pharmacies. This is what their business is. They, they buy and sell vaccines. And yet whenever they open up the conflict of interest statement and they say a conflict is anybody who benefits from the sale of vaccines, <laughs> they just all of this is like, Nobody says boo. They don't raise their hand. They don't, and I don't think they think they're lying. I think they really don't perceive they have a conflict of interest. I don't think they understand truly. It doesn't mean you know you're doing something wrong. It just means that because of your association, you know, there may be bias you're not even aware of yourself, right? And do you know if there's a legal, um, move that can be made against people if you can actually prove that they do have a conflict of interest and should be removed? Um, well, maybe not from this particular committee because it is a committee internal and they don't wow. actually have to show us their meeting, but they Got do it. make it public. And I would, I, I res I'm very glad they do. And I, even though we criticize them quite publicly, I do respect them for making it public and allowing us to have public comment time. There you go. It. Yeah. Um, so, and it's turning out that more and more Washington state um, seems to be listening as they know they've lost trust. Yes. So there's been some good and we'll kind of um, get to that. So I'm going to just go ahead and, and share. Let me get to the beginning. Um, I, and I have some screenshots that I took during the meeting and that's what, oh, and go yeah. Let me figure out which one it is. Um, I apologize. Now I can't find it. Um, hold on now. I Let's see. How about you, Phil, as I um, 
as I struggle to find Certainly. out where it disappeared to. <laughs> so, State of Washington put out a report on excess mortality report in full. So that's what, something that we're definitely going to talk about. We are. And yes, I have now I have now found it so I can fumbling around. I apologize. You know, sometimes your document is not um, what you think you named it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, you're looking in your sure tab, freaking out like, ah, okay. Sure so I took a, a couple of select screenshots. So they began the meeting um, with an overview of Apple Health Immunization Reimbursement, talking about who covers what. Apple Health is the name of state insurance. Um, that you can get what they pay for, what they can't, not excessively. Um, I mean, we could probably go down the rabbit hole of that, but we won't. I just want to kind of give you a feel of the whole uh, thing. And so then we had uh, Heather Drummond came on from the Department of Health, who identifies as she and they. She and they. I don't know what that means. Okay. Um, and talked about the changing landscape here, Javier. So it used to be between December of 2020 and September 2023, this is regard to COVID-19 shots, that originally the federal government purchased and distributed COVID shots for free to any enrolled provider. But now they are a commercial product, which is interesting because if you're 12 and under for Pfizer, it's still emergency use authorization. I don't remember the age for Moderna. So it's interesting, but they're now commercial products. Yes. Public health programs obtain and distribute similarly to how they do the flu and other vaccines. And Washington state is a universal purchase state. So they've got this public private association, the Washington Medical Association, I think it's, or no, Washington Vaccine Association, it's WVA. And um, so they purchase from the CDC so they can get bulk rate and then clinics and hospitals and everybody buy from them and then reimburse them or insurance pays or whatever, right? Um, COVID shots used to be free to any enrolled provider and now pr providers can purchase vaccine directly from manufacturers and distributors. And the federal government is supplying vaccines at no cost to children um, under age 19. And if you're underinsured or uninsured, there's a program they started called the Bridge Program. So if you're 19 and over, you can get um, a COVID shot. Um, Javier, so this is a little bit concerning. I've been having some conversations with people in other states regarding this Bridge Program. Because where they're entering here is in the territory of the adult vaccination program, the adult vaccination schedule. And there, it appears as if what they're attempting to do is one little bit at a time, one step forward at a time, create the very same system yes. so that, you know, pre-cradle to grave, the government is going to um, mandate the vaccines and pay for them. Because, you know, they know that a lot of people say no simply because they don't want to buy them. Right. But if you make it free, you'll get more people going, eh, okay. Um, so it's it's concerning. And the mobile vaccination 
services used to be around and they're still driving their little caravan around um, and no more mass vaccination sites. Okay. So then they went on to talk about the new 2023-24 COVID vaccines, updated Moderna and Pfizer uh, were approved on 9-12, Novavax on October 3rd. And it says formulated to more closely target current circulating variants and to provide, provide better protection against serious consequences of COVID-19, including hospitalization and death. Um, Javier, do you know the current status of the variant in these shots? Is it still even circulating at this stage? No, I mean, it's 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 such a low rate right now, but one, I mean, I, I have to hand, take my hat off to whoever came up with a strategy because they're basically writing the coattails of the flu vaccine. Right. They're not doing clinical trials on each new antigen that they present. They're just saying, let's change the sequence, mm -hmm. match whatever we think is going to be out right. there. And we'll sell it and say it's safe and effective because, well, we already showed that it was safe and effective. Right. So they're trying to normalize this in such a way that it, it is despicable. Absolutely uh, despicable. Absolutely despicable. Just we, okay, phase three trial studies never completed. Never completed. So all of the original EUAs on the original products were based on a subset. They talk about clinical trials of 40,000 people, those 40,000 people never finished the clinical trial. Right. They looked when about 170, 200 people they could look at who got COVID and they compared this little subgroup. They, they did their fake 95% effectiveness based on this little subgroup. Then they unblinded the study and there goes phase three. So there goes the safety trial. There goes any exactly. effectiveness. And, um, are we being told about manufacturing processes? Do we? No. Be, okay. Because what has been recently revealed is emergency use authorization was granted on one formula that was given in the clinical trials, but they had this teeny tiny little, um, and this was Naomi Wolf's team found right. in the Pfizer documentation under um, Freedom of Information Act request. They had this little 500 person study, 250 got placebo, 250 got formula two. Formula two had the plasmids. Correct. And E. coli and the, whatever the contamination is <clears throat> because, and this is my theory of why they did this little sub study, which they have not, I, nobody so far has been able to come up with the results of that little trial. Maybe it's there, but I haven't seen it yet. My theory is this. They knew there was no way they could ramp up and make billions of <laughs> doses of this using Formula Ones. They were going to have to ramp up and use different technology. And right. they wanted to see what they were going to find. Yes. Which was surely horrific. But they mm -hmm. ramped it up anyway. Complete bait and switch. Absolutely illegal. It's, it's violating every consumer protection act at the federal and state levels. Right. So this should be putting an end to it. And it's just absurd that they continue um, to push them. Uh, our department of health. And this, again, I'm, I'm less angry at Pfizer and Moderna and Novavax and, and others than I am at our health departments using our taxpayer money to market these products. Correct. So, yeah. So here's all the lovely toolkits and information you can get that are basically guides to coercion. 
you know, COVID-19 vaccines, pediatric vaccine toolkit for providers, um, discussion for immigrants and refugees, pregnancy and COVID-19 vaccine toolkit. I mean, it's just, it's just horrific. And, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go. I was just going to say this, you know, I, I, I hope that uh, someone in the Department of Health and the Board of Health are listening to this. You are putting up legal tools by which you will be sued yeah. or taken to court. You're providing documentation that you are providing information to providers and all these people, and you don't have any evidence of safety or effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And you damn well know by this point yeah, that no. you, the product that you're putting out is contaminated. If you don't, then you're not doing your jobs. Right. And they can't claim ignorance at this point. They can't. Claim ignorance they can't. At this point. I mean, how many people have sent them the information? And and they should be aware this is their job. Their, this is job, their job is to pay attention and they are not doing their job. Um, and then they went on to talk about some bullet points here and one that leaps out. This is from the Office of Immunization Program Director, uh, Jamila Cheryls Jones. She announced that near Zima, I can't pronounce it, Javier, can you read that? Zivimab. <laughs> Thank you. That is the monoclonal antibody um, that is very controversial. Yes. That they're now pushing on newborns and other infants in that first your first RSV season. Um, there were deaths in the clinical trial uh, that you know the clinical trial people waved off. We don't you you know it's dangerous to give monoclonal antibodies to infants. I mean there the. The research was not done. There's no long-term safety studies. It's very, very concerning. But good old WVA, that public-private association that purchases all the vaccines in the state, even though this product is not a vaccine, they decided we're going to go ahead and buy this. So they are buying it and making it available. Yeah. So we're going to get to more of that in a, it, later on when we get to the RSV portion that's coming up very soon here. So they've got a flu vaccine campaign going, um, increasing vaccine rates in, I forget what else. Long-term health facilities. Oh, thank you. Um, they now have a respiratory illness data dashboard. So now they're combining COVID and flu and RSV, right? So just fear, 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 fear. Um and it just, the more I learn about vitamin D and iodine, those are my two big things I'm championing yeah. right now. Go research vitamin D and iodine. The more I'm infuriated that they, there's no need to fear viruses. The majority really of the public just need to up their vitamin D, quit eating junk food, make sure you've yeah. got enough iodine on board, have the right things, treatment protocols on hand and no sprays. And they mention none of that. Of course not. And then the other thing that was really interesting, the immunization exemptions toolkit for healthcare providers. So I went and looked that up and you can download it. So this is one of the things, remember I mentioned that starting to listen to us um, a little bit. Um, Informed Choice Washington has had for a couple of years now what we call a uh, referral service. So you you log in and you, you have a little Zoom meeting with me and 
you know, we talk about the risks and benefits of vaccines. Mostly I provide sources for the risks because the world's flooded with benefits that aren't real. But anyway, exactly. so I give them information they might not otherwise know and then refer them to a practitioner who's got the guts and the ethics to give, allow people to um, seek their legal right to have a risk-benefit consultation to get their exemptions vaccine exemption uh, form signed for their children. Well, they've been talking a bit about during some of the meetings at the Board of Health meetings and such about their concern that parents are having trouble finding a practitioner. And, you know, what are we going to do about it? And then at this VAC meeting, lo and behold, here is this toolkit they're providing. I haven't gone all the way through it. Um, I haven't gone down the rabbit hole to see. I'm not sure they're actually providing any risk information uh, about the shots, but I, I'm not going to jump to conclusions. I'll look at it carefully. And then if Informed Choice Washington has some advice of what is missing that needs to make it more complete, because it is supposed to be risk benefit, not just their idea of benefit, then I'll let you know. But it gives the law and what you're doing and says, you know, you should be doing this. So I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that they saw that trust was going and one way to get back trust was to honestly explain the exemption um, law in the state of Washington. So bravo At to that. I yeah. And one of the things I found interesting is in the toolkit, it it did say that um, one of the frequently asked questions was um, something about judging somebody's religious faith. How do we know that they, they earnestly have this religious conviction? And they say, it's not for you to judge. You're just Good. there to give them risk benefit consultation. Do not judge. It's, you know, you're not there to approve of what they're doing. Exactly. This I is... This has always been the Department of Health stance in regard to childhood vaccine exemption exemptions for school required vaccines. But the governor's office all during COVID did not respect that at all. They judged everybody's religious exemption. So, yeah. yeah. So um, and then they gave some personnel updates, some new people coming on board in the Department of Health. OK, so. Now we're going to go to how are we doing on time. Okay, we're doing good because I'm going to spend the bulk of the time um, when we get to the excess population. But it's important we look at this um, RSV. That's what they moved to next. They talked about how RSV is not a reportable event. It's not like chickenpox. You have to report a case to the state so they keep track. But so far, they don't come, keep track of RSV. So they have to use different systems in order to um new vac what's the new vaccine surveillance network huh good question. that's a good question i hadn't noticed that language before there's always so much to investigate once you get through this um they don't have their slides available this is screenshots taken from um the meeting uh but they eventually post all of the slides so we can go further down the rabbit hole on that um, then they talked about availability of the the new shot. So they've the FDA has approved and CDC recommends for individuals 65 and older and for pregnant women. They kept using pregnant 
um, people, and I'm sorry, I just, I don't mean to offend at all, but only women can get pregnant. And I'm exactly. sorry, that's, that's my biological truth right there. <clears throat> um, so they talked about availability and ordering and how to get it, that sort of thing. Um, so, oh, wait. RSV, or, okay. Bay Fortis, I, I apologize. I'm talking about here the, the Bay Fortis is the mono. No, it's not the monoclonal. This is the vaccine. It is, isn't it it? is the monoclonal. So, nirsevimab uh, is the monoclonal, and Bay Fortuna, you're right, is Bay Fortis is the uh, vaccine. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that um, clarification. Yeah. I kind of knew that and forgot. I, the, I get tangled in all these names. Yeah. Um, but they're making it available. But let's go down to, and then, you know, we're not going to cover too much about is it needed, you know, all of that. They're trying to figure out now how to track it and put it in people's minds as an issue. Again, I don't want anybody to die. I don't want any infant to die of RSV. I don't want, but if you're not checking people's um, vitamin D status and all the other health factors that go into whether or not they can handle any virus, then you're not doing your medical due diligence and shame on you. Correct. And how much easy, how easy would it be to swab the nose of an infant with um, the right um, diluted dosage of um, iodine? Yeah. Right? Super easy. Super easy. Now don't do that with your baby without checking with, you know, your doctor to find out because babies are not adults and they have different needs. But I'm saying there are, safe and effective that things that people have been doing for a thousand years. Well, not a thousand with iodine because I think it was discovered a couple hundred years ago, but anyway, but, and this is how much it costs $395 a dose. Huh? I I bought $395 a dose. Okay. So the really interesting sentence is right here. ACIP has recommended Nirsevimab. Nirsevimab. Thank you. As a routine immunization. It's not an immunization. It's not, but they're recommending it as an immunization. Therefore, it is an expectation. CVP childhood vaccine providers have it available for patients. It's not an immunization. No, but what we're witnessing um, practitioners who are under the vaccines for children program. Yeah. They must carry all of the vaccines recommended to children, even say the Gardasil HPV vaccine, even if they don't, they don't want it. They don't want it for their patients. Maybe they're being selective, whatever. But if you are in the program, if you're a CVP provider, they're saying right here, it's an expectation you're going to order it. So at $395 a pop, you need to order it and keep it on hand, whether uh, you want to right, or not. Right. The government is paying for it. You're one of the, I mean, there's a lot of strings that go with, with becoming a vaccines for children provider. And the language is already in a couple of states. Um, it's not yet funded, as we talked about earlier, the vaccines for adults program is coming so far for uninsured and underinsured. They're going to, they're covering COVID shots. All of these, all of these programs are nothing more than just uh, subsidies to mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals. They're mm -hmm. not there to provide anything to, to the public. They no, really no, but the pressure is on from, from these federal agencies 
to stock it. And once you get it in your office, I mean, you don't want to eat that money. No, you're going to want to find somebody to to charge to put it on their insurance to eject it into. It's really nefarious. It's just so unethical. It's and an now we get to yeah. yeah. So and then so we've got the GSK and the Pfizer RSV vaccines for those sixty plus and then pregnant persons. They say three hundred dollars a dose. And um, I don't I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but they do. Um, Talk about, oh, here, V-Safe. They've stopped tracking COVID on V-Safe, and now they're going to be using it for RSV. Of course they are. Um, and the Trang uh, uh, Cuss is her name, who works yes. with the Department of Health. She said she very happily reported her adverse um, symptoms to the COVID shots, and she will do the same with RSV shots. So, um, well, I hope she's good at her word. I hope so too. Um, and then you remember how there was the preterm um, safety signal, pre preterm birth for administering this product to uh, pregnant women. Um, so they say this work group members found the following data reassuring regarding preterm birth imbalance. Um, so they say when using the full trial dosing interval at 24 to 36 weeks gestation, um, yeah, I, I don't know how much time we want to spend on this, but there was no known biological mechanism for vaccines to cause preterm birth. Of course there are. There's um, it's, they, they have no known biological mechanism. They've been saying that about vaccines doing harm for decades. And it's just absurd because you just go to PubMed, many biological mechanisms are known for the adverse events reported. And yeah, just because you haven't discovered it for this particular vaccine, you know, ask any vaccinologist. They're going to be, if they tell you the truth, they'll know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if they're going to roll these out, they need to tell women that you are, in essence, part of a clinical trial data and there's a safety signal preterm birth, which is one of the leading causes of fetal demise. So, if they don't tell them that, it's absolutely unethical. If they tell them it's safe and effective and they're, and they're not watching for this safety signal, um, shame on them. Um, yeah. No, RSV, uh, RSV, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a respiratory virus. It can be pretty bad in a sub mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what's funny, I haven't seen a single mention of a child dying from RSV. It's all the, it's, it's basically all the hospitalizations, mm. but not a single death. There, there's not very many every year. Again, I don't want anybody to die, but, um, you know, you have to look at the circumstances right. and address those underlying circumstances and, and everything is being, of course, hyped up as soon as you've, you've got a product, uh, a product, um, yeah, and wasn't RSV originally from a vaccine? I mean, wasn't right. it introduced from uh, from a vaccine? Yeah, from vaccines, some sort of monkey virus that eventually became systemic. You know, so we we caused the problems. Yeah. Okay, so it's very concerning. Please do your due diligence if you go to informedchoicewa.org um, and you look for RSV. We've got a page there where you can go uh, read the product inserts. You can go read the information. You can go to the FDA letters that say what you you know, what they need you to look for. Um, really stop and think and, and do your research on 
how to health have that health resilience. Please do not make your decisions based on fear, but do them on fact and, and know um, your options. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and move to the big topic of the day. The COVID-19 vaccination and excess death 2020 to 2021. That sounds so promising. It sounds as if they're going to go look to see if there was a connection, if vaccination caused excess death, but they worked very, very hard to do the opposite. So excess death report team. So the individuals working at the Department of Health, if you want to write to any of them um, with your reflections on this report and the report will be in our Substack, the link so you can go read it in full and we would love it if if individuals who really know how to um uh do studies who know statistics really analyzed it wow uh, so john downs who is the presenter here katie hutchinson ian painter and sean coffinger um and so we're gonna we're gonna read this vaccination data here, and then um, so Javier, I asked you to look at this, and you were able to look at the uh, methods. So I've been doing all the talking. Can you read that well enough that you oh, yeah. can read that? Not okay, you go you go for it. So what they're presenting basically is that they they took a wide scale population based uh, analysis of vaccination and uh, looking at the you know, vaccination rates, 98.9% provide a home address, basically saying that we could verify all these people in our census that this is, this is actual legitimate data. And again, looking at vaccination rates and splitting them into, into, uh, f- into uh, five categories, quintiles, mm-hmm. uh, basically separating them out by, by age or by vaccination status. Mm-hmm. And I think in this case, uh, based on vaccination rate. So five groups, you got one, two, three, four, five shots, and then basically dividing them up into that particular category. We expect that the difference in excess death between the most and least vaccinated areas would be relatively small in 2020, then grow larger in 2021. That is, um, uh, that, that is not an, uh, um, an illogical assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what for what they were you know expecting to see, but what really is interesting is that they only focused on 2020 and 2021, even though they have available to them data from 2022 as well. Right. Where is the 2022 data? We're still. I think it's posted somewhere, but why isn't it now in this analysis? And I want to point out that they they matched they matched up the census with vaccination records, right? but they did not match up vaccination records to deaths. Right. So this is just a guesswork. And and the way they divided it is really, really interesting. So what I'm going to do right now at this, as we're looking at their methodology here, I'm going to read to you a public comment Uh, by a woman named Melissa, who's a member of Informed Choice Washington, and she's on the phone. So we're going to be bringing her on um, to talk to us for a minute here after I read her public comment. 
She says, my comments today have to do with the DOH report on excess mortality in 2021. I am concerned, and we'll get to this in a bit, look at the, the, small, the data broken down, the 31% increase in excess mortality in the zero to 54 age group I am looking at data table two on page eight. According to the data table, the majority of those younger excess deaths were not due to COVID. The report doesn't explore the reason for this. One of the concerns for many people has been whether the COVID vaccines play a role. And while the report attempts to look at the connection between vaccinations and the excess mortality overall, I think the methodology has introduced other variables. The methodology involves grouping Washington census tracts into five quintiles by vaccination rate high to low. Mm -hmm. The problem is that compared to the two highest groups, the two lowest already had double the excess deaths in 2020 before the vaccine was even introduced. In other words, the quintiles are sorted by health. Right. Census tracts are non-random, so there is some bias here. Maybe something like median income or median home price poverty as a variable or access to health care. I have requested the supplemental methodology, but DOH has not sent it yet, so I don't know what is causing the healthy quintile bias, but you can see that it's there. I'm trying to understand why DOH selected a method that introduced bias, especially because they have already have a report comparing COVID deaths by vaccination status. It's been published every month for the past two and a half years. Exactly. The monthly report methodology is sound. It matches COVID deaths with a vaccine database and creates rates by vaccination status. What has always been missing is looking at non-COVID deaths all, or all-cause all deaths all by vaccination status in a way that allows for looking at demographic subgroups like the 0 to 54 age group, which was not done in the report. I'm curious to know why DOH doesn't use monthly report methodology for all-cause deaths or non-COVID deaths. And what is the plan to look in the excess deaths in the younger population? Thank you for listening to my concerns today. And with that, can we, um, Melissa, are you with us? Hi, Bernadette, I'm here. Hi, thank you so much for joining this call. And thank you for speaking yesterday to the Department of Health Vaccine Advisory Committee um, and really taking the time to look at this. Um, you've got a PhD um, sitting here, Javier, who's nodding at your analysis, so bravo. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. And hi, Javier. Hello, Melissa. Yeah, well done. So um, are you able to see, are you watching this so you can see that as I scroll through things, are you able to see? Um, yeah, I yeah. can. Okay, good, good. So I just want to make sure you're seeing. And um, this this graph here, I don't really fully understand. Can you explain, Javier, where we're looking at that one? Did you look at it closely? Melissa, you probably saw, saw this uh, or uh, can comment on it a little bit better than I can. I'm seeing it for the first time. So oh, okay. why, don't, why don't you take it, Melissa, if you can? Yeah, what I'm, I'm not seeing a graph. So I might be, on, I might be getting a lag. But oh, you're getting a time lag. Okay. Is it the graph that's like the pink bars and yes. the blue bars? Okay. That's it. So yes. basically it's looking at, they, they looked at the, um, these quintile groups with the different rates of <laughs> doses per person. Um, and they looked at two things. They looked at COVID deaths 
and they looked at uh, excess deaths. And um, they looked in 2020, and they looked in 2021. And the COVID deaths, is my recollection, yeah, I can see it now. It would, those were roughly equal, but when you look at the, the lower left section, blue graph, those are the, their excess deaths that they were having in 2021, and that's where you could, you know, that's the visual representation of what exactly. I was saying, which is that okay. the groups that have lower numbers of doses per person were already dying at double the rate, even before anyone took a vaccine. There's just, it just leaves so much more questions, right? So what about these individuals made them susceptible? Were there, I mean, there's probably a ton of other variables if you're using census data is my guess, but you don't know. Usually they're looking at, you know, I don't know what they're usually looking at, but usually what they're reporting is age, gender, and race. Right. And we're going to get to a slide on that um, in just a second here, Melissa, but Mm -hmm. This, the bias we're seeing, we're looking at the slide now, uh, Melissa, where there's a gentleman with a a mask on and it said reported COVID-19 excess deaths, I think. Anyway, but did I cut off the top of that? There, I'm, oh, hold on. I want to look to see, is this the one that, there was one. Hold on, I got to look to see. No, I didn't. I didn't get it in here. Unfortunately, I thought I was. It was started with the um, a slide, but I'm not seeing it. They had the top of one of the slides that introduced it that said COVID nineteen vaccination saved lives, something like that. So mm-hmm. you know the bias was just completely showing there. If if the researchers believed that the shots, the danger, the risk of the shot, adverse reactions and injuries to the shots couldn't be responsible. And that was their mindset entering this. Then they weren't even looking for it. And, and that shows in what they put here. So what they're saying is that reported COVID-19 deaths must meet a case definition, such as a recent positive test. And COVID-19 could have indirectly increased or decreased deaths from other causes. Undiagnosed COVID-19 infections could have been responsible for excess deaths. Or COVID-19 infections increase the risk of death from diabetes, kidney disease, or other existing conditions. Well, they should have had vaccine after each one of those statements as well, right? I mean, the spike protein in the wild virus, you know, made in a Wuhan lab, it's a pretty nasty critter, but the one in the vaccine, you get a billion more, right? And then they say, "Go ahead, Melissa." I'm sorry. I can't. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I'll just read the two other points, Melissa. Then I want you to uh, jump in here. They say that masking and social distancing reduce deaths from flu and pneumonia. I don't know where they got that. And some COVID nineteen deaths would have happened later due to another cause. Again, no proof. No. Yeah. No proof. Go ahead, Melissa. Yeah, I was going to say. So they they start out their report with this executive summary. And they have these three questions that, are, that they're asking, and they say, after COVID-19 vaccines were introduced, excess deaths decreased statewide, with the largest drops occurring in the areas with the highest vaccination rate. Um, yeah, it's can just... Can you hear me? Just, Sorry, so I got yeah. Oh, yeah, no, we can hear yeah. you. Yeah. I can hear you. I'm, 
their data shows exactly the opposite. Like it's just yeah. a statement that's completely not true. And then they give their key findings. You can see excess deaths were 5% in 2020. This is their number, which is lowballing probably, but they, it's yeah. their number. It's legitimately their number. 5% in 2020, 12% in 2021. So it increased. COVID Good. deaths yeah. were like 3,700 in 2020, 6,300. So COVID deaths went up. So excess deaths went up. COVID deaths went up in every age group except yes. 85 plus. Yep. And that's because you don't have a big population and the ones that remain are probably the healthier ones that can survive. Yeah. And, mo- and honestly, most, even in that age group, most, there wasn't a lot of excess deaths. There were a lot of COVID deaths um, kind of taking the place of what fills in underneath, you know, as expected, so to speak. Yeah. Um, without yeah. being too technical. I'm going to attempt to find, for, uh, I seem to be missing a graph I really want to show, and that's with the age group, Melissa. Do you happen to have the page number handy that has the age group? Eight. Page eight? eight? Yeah. That's what eight. I'm Page eight, and, and you're right showing there. Showing eight, yeah. Let's let's look at this. Um, let me see if I can make it a little bit bigger. Can we see this? Yes. Let's look at the, the, the ages are what are just blowing me away. So, um, we've got the zero to fifty four age group in 2020. Excess mortality in that group was thirteen percent. In 2021, it was thirty one percent. Yes. And then between 55 and 64 in 2020 was 6%. In 2021 was 20%. These people are this, they're in the age group where they're not supposed to be dying. Right. Right. And the, and once you get, you have to get really above 75 before COVID deaths are accounting for all that excess. In, in right. all below the age 75, some of that excess is coming from some, somewhere else. It's, you can't account for it by even 100% mm-hmm. of the COVID deaths. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that excess, and that grows and grows as it gets younger and younger. Um, you know, when you get to like school-aged kids, the, the number of COVID deaths is so low that they don't report it. Like they, they mm-hmm. for privacy reasons, they just say like suppressed. They're, they don't mm-hmm. give it. You know, and yet, and but the excess deaths are there. You can mm-hmm. see, like, yeah. So, okay. So this is. Um, I want to show you this final slide here um, that they ended with. My questions for you, DOH. I don't, I'm not sure if he, I think it's if they're asking the advisory committee. I guess. So, what are the community level barriers to vaccination? Again, the unscientific, biased approach to even the question from the individual. Scientists are supposed to bring facts, you know, and the bias toward vaccination good. What are the barriers? I don't understand. Um, What research would you like to see on vaccines and death rates? Melissa, would you like to answer that question? (laughs) (laughs) I know, because that's what I've been saying for a year. You know, you look at, you've got a certain number of deaths, all cause deaths in the state each year. COVID is just one of them. They, they yeah. have probably 30 different categories that they use, and they pick this one category, and they take the death, and they create a rate based on the vaccination status, and they produce a report 
for the purpose of promoting vaccines, the, you know, for right. saying this is the right. fact that you should use it. And, but they've never looked at what about all these other categories? Yeah. Well, maybe they did this too quickly because they did say at the very beginning of this meeting that this report was done because of um, citizen comment, like you, Melissa. (laughs) And you know, it's interesting because like I have, I I think I've probably got a half dozen of them myself and I went back and looked and I never used the term excess mortality, which, because I understand excess you know, this is an epidemiologist report, so they're not looking at individual deaths. They're looking at, like, a group, population, a population level. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. can't say which, you know, what their claim is. Like, let's say there's, you know, 2,000 excess deaths out of 20,000. Well, which which of those 20,000 do you call the excess? You know, which ones? So that's why they right. went with their methodology that they did. But um, so I don't know who asked for a, for a report on excess deaths, um, but maybe someone did. But I was but we, always been saying, look at the all-cause mortality. Yes. Exactly. Well, I think they understood all-cause. They knew what you were asking and others making those comments and writing in the comments. So two more bullet points they have here is, what do we know about boosters and death from COVID-19? And do you have any questions about our study? So again, <laughs> anybody listening to this show, um, our Substack next week, uh, informedchoicewa.org Substack, will have links to all of this and, and you'll be able to learn where you can send your questions. And if you're a statistician, if you're a research scientist and you understand um, you know, really how to uh, comment on this, I, I would love that. That would be so fantastic. Um, so what I would like to do now, though, Javier, because you've got some slides here, right, that you looked yeah. at. So um, I'm not sure where those that is. Is that something that Nathan has? Or Oh, I have it. Okay, I'm going to remove that. And oops. There we go. You go ahead. Um, I'll add it to the stage and you just take it away. All right. So the the report uh, that was uh, released did have a an analysis of basically doing a longitudinal look at the observed and expected death rate per 100,000 by week in Washington state from 2011 to 2022. And so what you have right there on a graph is basically deaths per 100,000 person on the y-axis and time and weeks at the bottom, all the way from 2011 running all the way to 2022. What you see is a red line that is basically the average excess or, or the expected death rate or the actual death rate uh, in the state of Washington with a gray band going around the red line in a wavy pattern uh, and superimposed of it and superimposed over it is the actual number of deaths per mm-hmm. 1,000 persons right there. So this is giving us a historical look at the seasonal variation per 100,000 people dying in the state of Washington. And this is basically the expected death rate. Yeah. 2017, we had a bad flu season, a really bad flu season. And we see a gigantic spike rising above the uh, red line, as well as the what they call the 95% confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's above that. And that is actually what is considered excess deaths. Those are deaths that were unexpected. Okay. Fast forward all the way to 2020. And you do have a small spike. Uh, when uh, COVID-19 started coming in. And then uh, around uh, June uh, through August of 2020, you see another large spike. And this is right before the rollout of the mRNA vaccine. 
Yeah. Right. Oh, I, right. And before we get into more details here, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is that report said that some of the excess deaths were due to a heat dome um, one summer. And that's part of what you're going to be laying out here is they did um, credit the heat dome for some. So go ahead. Right. So in 2020, between June and August of 2020, there was a period of, uh, of uh, several uh, weeks to months where it was a little bit was unusually warm. We did reach a um, uh, an all time high of 90 degrees Fahrenheit in some parts. So that was, you know, uh, that that can actually stress people's uh, systems out that can actually induce heat stroke or other conditions, especially if you have heart disease or lung disease uh, mm -hmm. that might ca cause excess deaths. Mm -hmm. Well, when the mRNA shots roll out, you do see a spike of excess deaths coming up and then it tapers down. But then the expected death rate, all of a sudden, you, you can see on this graph that the expected death rate right here doesn't dip down again. It mm -hmm. starts right, it stays up. Now there's a huge spike in June 2021. Um, and it's just around the same time where we start experiencing higher than normal temperatures. But there's mm -hmm. a problem there. It's not consistently hot throughout the entire time. And the historical record where they're trying to say the heat dome effect causes excess deaths is not likely because it's such a huge sharp spike. It's not just it's not just a, a single, it's a single event that occurs, but it can't be explained away by, the, by, by heat stroke. You look at 2020, uh, the, the, uh, the death rate, it was, it, you didn't see that huge spike. It was a more of a steady state where you have people dying at a slightly higher death rate. Mm. That little spike right there, I don't know what that is. Uh -huh. That doesn't make any sense for it to be heat, heat stroke. And then it goes down and then it starts rising back up again and stays elevated and then stops at 2022, the exact period the Department of Health stopped looking at data. They went up all the way to 2021 and 2022, the excess death rate remains well above at least one or two, maybe even three standard deviations outside the norm of excess death rates per 100,000 people. And it's and not, it, and it wasn't hot anymore. The, the heat dome was gone anymore. and it's still, it's still it's high. Way higher. So, and that problem yeah. is going to continue all through 2022. So they exactly. just released the Washington Tracking Network data for 2021 now in, well, it was in September of 2023. So almost two years later. So I, that's my worry that we have to wait yet another year for them to release to the public the 2022 data, but they have released the number, and I and it's higher. It's like it's seventy. Way higher. <laughs> change. So, Way higher. so the problem persists yeah. into 2022, yeah. and 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 we'll just have to wait, you know, for a year. Yeah. 2023. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bernadette. I I I don't know. I'm just there's so many. What I think about these sudden deaths, unexplained deaths that are happening, and we know that stress. So if it's excessively hot, that added stress. I mean, there's just so many stressors that can be put on. Um, there's just so many factors that were not looked at, and I I don't know. I just I, I encourage people to read the report, write in. We need to demand. Um, 
maybe have other people get a hold of the raw data and do their own analysis. Maybe we need exactly. some independent analysis of somebody who really will um, try to be unbiased. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's not the shots causing these, um, the only way to know is if you actually look at the vaccine status. Correct. And also yeah. do an autopsy because most yeah. of these de- uh, heat stroke deaths or supposed heat stroke deaths are cardiovascular in nature. Okay. So yeah. that ought to tell you something. And that sustained increase in excess deaths that I'm seeing at the end of that graph is really worrying because it correlates almost exactly with Ed Dowd's reports. And the age oh, groups, I mean, age groups, yeah. the, the heat could, it, it's morely if you're, you're elderly that the heat impacts you. Younger people can get through it, but the excess deaths, the greatest number was in the younger people. So right. um, we've got about one more minute to go. Melissa, thank you so much for calling in and reviewing this information with us. You, you keep at it. You're doing a great right. job. You are a, a, an exemplary citizen. <laughs> yeah all righty so javier uh last 30 seconds uh what what do you want to leave people with here i i to, to anyone listening to the department of health in washington um be aware if, if if you know you have this data let it out because you don't want people to be blindsided by it when the truth comes out exactly let out the truth Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and TV. We will be back next week. Take care. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.